This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Saturday, September 16th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Did gaffes and exhaustion during the president's recent foreign trip abroad overshadow what the White House sees as policy achievements? He is in decline. And when he is in decline, that means America's position on the world stage is weakened. I'm Ryan Schmelz. Republicans' razor-thin majority in the House just got even smaller, making it quite the balancing act for Speaker Kevin McCarthy to get his party on the same page. Speaker McCarthy is dealing with a very um, untenable situation just because the margin is, is so tight. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Last week, the president wrapped up a five-day trip, much of it in foreign countries, first in New Delhi, India, for the G20 summit, where President Biden was joined by other world leaders and seen shaking the hand of the man whose country then-candidate Biden called a pariah over the killing of an American journalist. The president later botched the name of this Saudi Arabian prince at the conference. And I particularly want to thank Prime Minister Modi and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salam. So, excuse me, Mohammed bin Salam. He later honored the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 in Anchorage, Alaska, on his way back to the U.S. And while some took issue with him honoring the day there, it was this comment that had some wondering if the president was inventing stories or just misremembering. Ground Zero in New York. And I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because the way you could away from where you could stand. Records show he was in Washington, D.C. the day after 9-11. But it was a press conference he gave from Hanoi, Vietnam, after the G20 that got the most attention. After a 25-minute press conference in the evening in Vietnam time, but in the morning D.C. time, the president had called it. He may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. After a brief reporter follow-up after that remark, his spokesperson, Karine Jean-Pierre, got on the mic and cut the president off, telling reporters the conference was over. The news conference in Hanoi uh, was a train wreck. Carl Rove is a Fox News contributor and former deputy chief of staff to President George W. Bush. He stumbled. He couldn't, you know, was not clear what he was trying to convey. Uh, he used a lot of uh, you know, sort of personal language that I'm I'm sure we've become used to, but that the traveling press and foreign press wouldn't be, um, uh, you know, conversant with. But it was just it was just odd. I mean, he, he I, I don't know. I don't not even certain he knew where he was. Uh, Twenty five minutes and two seconds of of a train wreck. Uh, and the event in Alaska was good, but uh, I thought it was tone deaf on the part of the uh, of the White House scheduling group, whoever's in charge over there, not to think this thing through and say, we need to arrange the schedule so that the president goes to Hanoi on the way to the G20 and can be back in the United States for the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. Right. 
Carl, there, there are now articles being written, I'm sure you've read them, in the president's defense, saying, you know, he's getting things done. You know, at the G20, he had some policy accomplishments. Um, but the, but on the flip side, that his aides are really helping voters see and understand that he's keeping this pace, he's doing this work. You know, even if he appears older and slower, you know, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, keeps saying, you know, just just watch him. And um, she was quoted as saying, you know, look how strong he appeared in Kiev. What do you make of all of this? Well, look, he, he it was a, a an, an amazing visit to Kiev. But, but, you know, look, if we follow her direction, we're just simply going to get more horrified. I mean, he is not getting better. He is not getting stronger. He is not getting more lucid. He is not being more direct. He's getting weirder. I mean, these weird phrases, you know, the pony-faced dog soldiers, and you know, I mean, it's just, it just is strange. It's sad in a way. Look, our country faces big challenges, and I want our president, Democrat or Republican, to be strong and to be seen up to those challenges. And, and I have a particular interest in it because I served in that building for seven years. I see the pressures that come on any president of either party. Yeah. And, 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 and he's not up to it. And it's clear he's not up to it. And why the people around him, the first lady, his sister, who plays an enormous role in all of his political affairs and has since he first ran in, for the Senate in 1972, why, why they can't see this. David Ignatius is right in his column in The Washington Post. It, it, mm. it is time for President Biden to, to be what he said he was going to be, a transitional figure, and to leave while he can still leave with his head, head high and with believing that he had achieved what he wanted to do, which was to restore some sense of normality to the White House. This, however, is not normal. This is, this is, this is where we see the weakness on the, on the national and international stage. And I want to point out for our listeners, David Ignatius, Washington Post columnist, wrote on uh, on Wednesday, or at least it appeared Wednesday, an article um, saying that President Biden and Vice President Harris should not run for re-election. They should both step aside. The time is running out for um, somebody else to sort of, I guess, make it official that they could run and start fundraising. Um, Carl, let me ask you, you know, the, the president's staff said without China and Russia at the G20, it was an opportunity for the U.S., um, but then in, in the joint statement out of the G20, the participating countries said all states must refrain from the threat or use of force to seek territorial acquisition. And that was compared to last year's joint statement, which was more forceful against Russia, far more forceful, using the word condemn. You know, how does that come across on the world stage that, that if the president feels so strongly about Russia, that this was the joint statement that came out? Well, it, it, it speaks for itself. Our position weakened in the last year and when it should be growing stronger because the atrocities committed by the Russians against Ukraine and the threat it represents to to the rule of law, to the right of a of a nation not to be uh, subjected to aggression by its neighbor uh, has been weakened. And for the for the president of the United States not to be pounding the table and saying, why are we stepping back from the position that we, the international community, took last year is a statement in and of itself. He is in decline. And when he is in decline, that means America's position on the world stage is weakened. Mm. I, that, if, if most voters in polling over 70, I know you follow polling very closely. If most voters in polling over 70 percent say they're concerned about the president's age and he he ends a press conference in Hanoi saying, I'm going to bed after appearing tired and his spokesperson cuts him off on mic. I wonder how Americans weigh those moments. Like, do they say, well, 
do they take into consideration, you know, this is a long trip with time zone changes or have we gotten used to a certain like energy level from presidents, even if it is a long trip? Yeah, well, we've gotten used to this president um, acting strangely and it was a long trip. And I don't I, I really, you know, don't uh, fault him for saying I'm going to bed because it has been a long trip. But what I fault him for was the 25 minutes that led up to that mm. where he where he was, uh, it was not clear what question he was trying to answer or what his answer was. And again, the whole structure of this was wrong. If you want to have a, if you want to set a tone, set a tone. And so the White House should have thought about going to Vietnam first. So the tone could be the United States has opened doors to, to, to once adversary with whom it has found common cause because of joint concerns about the expansion of, of uh, Chinese efforts in, uh, in, in Asia. And then he could have gone to the meeting in India, and he should have been stronger when it came to particularly Ukraine. And then he could have come home and been here on September 11th. But mm. instead, they did it backwards. They went to the G20 first, and then they went to Hanoi, and then 9-11 was an afterthought. And, and that shouldn't have been. It should not have been that way. Is that, Carl, because you've done this before, is there... Is there any explanation for that? Like, did it just run into like the G20 was close to 9-11 and and maybe the he wanted to go to Vietnam, but it couldn't be done. You know, it couldn't be done before G20. Like when you think about logistics and scheduling, I mean, this is a massive amount of of planning that needs to take place. Is it possible, I, you know, that there's an explanation for that? Well, I think there are two explanations. One is the White House staff is not functioning at at, uh, you know, at the, at the level it needs to be functioning at. But there's also an even more troubling alternative, which is that the president of the United States is uh, immune to, to discussion and challenge. I, I wonder how many people feel comfortable walking to the Oval Office and saying, Mr. President, we've been looking at the schedule and we think we ought to be changing it so that you can leave earlier, do Hanoi on the way into the G20 and be back in the United States in time for 9-11. I wonder if somebody walked in, feels comfortable walking in and saying, "Mr. President, we got a different we got a different way. Can we make the case to you that we ought to change?" Hmm. I'm not certain okay. they feel comfortable at all. We have heard multiple times at press conferences, you know, I'm just doing what they told me, right? I'm going to call on who they told me to call on. I'm just doing what my staff. I'm I'm just going to go stand where my staff told me to stand. We've heard they a lot. Who who is they? Is it is it Karine Jean Pierre? Like why why does the president keep doing that? Well, see, I have a different reaction. Every president re- has to rely on their staff. Every president has to be told, Mr. President, this is where you're going to go. Here's a little map of where you're. You know, every president gets those kind of instructions. Mr. President, here is what we've you know agreed upon. I think that the issue there is that is his way of saying to them, I'm really in charge. You know, I'm just sort of blaming them for telling me to be. You know, he's like mocking them. <laughs> He's like he's like, you know, sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm bothered because I got these staff and, you know, I'm the pro. I've been around here since 1972. I know how this town works. Ah, OK. And so I I, I don't take it as, uh, you know, on his part saying, OK, um, I, I'm just sort of being moved around. It is him mocking the staff that, that works for him. I, I was speaking to someone about all of this before speaking to you. They said that um, some of this, at least some of the physicality of the, the, the falling down, which is actually really hard to watch, I think, for a lot of people, because we will all get old, um, but right. that it reminded him of Gerald Ford 
Um, and I know that that maybe it's not comparable, but I wanted your take on the idea that you might not remember where Gerald Ford was going or coming from, but you do remember that fall. Yeah. Well, and, and look, think about it. Gerald Ford was a college football player. He was an athlete. He 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 skied until late in life. After he left the White House, he he was you know he lived in part of the year in Vail, Colorado, and loved to ski. He was a great athlete. So you know if he got uh, walloped in, the, in 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 public opinion by having one stumble, you know think about this. I, I watched it. The President of the United States going to Asia did not go up the stairs to Air Force One. He entered the belly of the airplane. And why do they do that? Because it's fewer steps and less likelihood that he will stumble and fall. Yeah. That's where we are. And look, we all get old. You're right. It's, at some moment, it's going to come. But when you have three quarters of the American people saying he's too old and two thirds of the American people saying they don't think he's mentally up for the job of president, that's a message and the Democrat Party, the the oldest political party in the world, and 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 inarguably, I say this as a Republican begrudgingly, the greatest party that that, that given it the length of its existence, it can do better. And we as the American people need it to do better. We do not want to have a choice between two candidates nominated by each party who are considered subpar. We our country is better off if we have a spirited contest between two people men or women who are capable of doing the job. And with all due respect to the current president, he's clearly not up to it. Carl, back to that David Ignatius um, Washington Post op-ed. Is this the beginning of a process in which the president responds to these calls from people within his own camp? I mean, Ignatius is writing, there's little time left to make this decision and let somebody else possibly run. And um, and he also writes that the president may think there's no one else waiting in the wings who can beat Trump. Well, uh, first of all, it, it is getting late, but it's not too late. Uh, second of all, David Ignatius is a prominent figure on the center and center left of American politics and journalism. So it's a significant comment from a well-respected opinion writer. Others have written, written that it would be better if the president stepped aside. I'm one of them. But that, yes, the moment is coming. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. But when Iowa holds its caucuses and New Hampshire holds its primary, shortly thereafter, the Democrat calendar kicks in. And there are requirements like in Nevada in order to get on the ballot that you have to do it relatively quickly. Uh, in fact, that deadline may have actually passed. But here's the point. The vast majority of contests are still yet to be decided and the deadlines are open. And yes, the president has some time to make this decision, but he would serve the country better and he would serve his party better if he gave people as much time as possible to enter the contest and offer themselves to the voters. Carl Rove, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
I'm Ryan Schmelz. Republicans' razor-thin majority in the House just got even smaller, making it quite the balancing act for Speaker Kevin McCarthy to get his party on the same page. Speaker Kevin McCarthy has had an uphill battle within his own party for control. It started with 15 rounds of votes and negotiations, ending in Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Next Speaker of the United States, House Representative Kevin then Congressman Kevin McCarthy worked to become Speaker of the House, making deals with each faction of the fractured Republican Party, the five caucuses, or as McCarthy and others have jokingly called them, the five families, include the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, the Moderate Main Street Caucus, the Republican Governance Group, the Conservative Republican Study Commission, and finally, the Freedom Caucus. Satisfying everyone has been a challenge. The speaker has been juggling a divided party on funding for Ukraine, the investigation into what, if any involvement President Biden had in his son Hunter's foreign business dealings, with House Republicans opening an impeachment inquiry this week, all while trying to fund the government on a fast approaching deadline. Even Democrats like Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips admit it's a tough job. I don't envy his position. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that job right now on my worst enemy, but you gotta set, leaders set the standard, they set the tone, uh, and they make appeals to those they know they need, and there are many of us waiting for that appeal. McCarthy is working with a razor-thin margin of Republican seats controlling the House and has continued to struggle negotiating with a Democrat-controlled Senate and White House. Congressman Matt Gates has even floated trying to remove McCarthy if he doesn't get enough of what he's asking for in a government funding package. Mr. Speaker, you are out of compliance with the agreement that allowed you to assume this role. The path forward for the House of Representatives is to either bring you into immediate total compliance or remove you pursuant to a motion to vacate the chair. We have had no vote on term limits or on balanced budgets as the agreement demanded and required. There's been no full release of the January 6 tapes as you promised. Former Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz was chair of the House Oversight Committee and saw two different Republican speakers try to keep the party on the same page during his time in Congress. Speaker McCarthy is dealing with a very um, untenable situation just because the margin is, is so tight. I mean, um, Congressman Chris Stewart is uh, retiring. Uh, Congressman from Utah, his, his wife had some health issues. So their margin is down to four. They can only afford to give up four votes. And to try to herd that many cats in one direction is is something that both Boehner um, and and Speaker Ryan never had to deal with. Um, but, you know, the issues are big and you got a divergent group of members and they're going to have to figure it out. And what do you make of the decision to go with an impeachment inquiry? You had some who were cautioning against it. Some of the more moderate members were cautioning against it. But you also had some uh, other conservatives who really wanted to push for articles of impeachment going as far as that. What do you make of the decision to go with an impeachment inquiry? Did he find the right balance here? I think the inquiry inquiry is the is the right balance. If if you believe that the oversight committee and the judiciary committee should be able to do their jobs, then an inquiry is just the next step in that. Um, there is the ability of chairman in both judiciary and oversight, of which I used to be the chairman, you can issue a subpoena, but your ability to enforce a subpoena will determine how, how potent that, that, uh, that subpoena is. And unfortunately, 
this administration, the Biden administration, is stiff-arming these guys. So if you want to actually get the documents that they believe the evidence shows they should be able to review, then the power of having an impeachment inquiry, a full vote of the House behind the weight of that subpoena, will bode well, particularly because I think most people recognize this will end up in the courts. And if you have a vote of the full House, that is a much stronger case than the signature of the oversight chairman, even though that should suffice. But you you need that full weight of the inquiry. Now, does Speaker McCarthy need to bring this to the floor? You know, I don't believe he has to legally, but you do even have some conservative members like Dan Bishop, who's been, you know, strongly supportive of the impeachment inquiry for a number of months now. But he's come out and said, well, he should put it on the floor. Is putting it on the floor the right move here? Um, maybe not yet. You, first of all, you need the votes. But when Speaker uh, Pelosi did this, she waited some five weeks before she ever put her uh, impeachment inquiry vote up on the floor. So there's a hesitation, but that's okay. The it, the, it should move forward. Um, and again, the duly issued subpoenas by oversight and judiciary should be fulfilled in re- in time. When it was the Democrats, they got it in record time um, because they had a Department of Justice that was cooperative. But the, the current Department of Justice is not very cooperative. Just for background, how is this going to be different? You know, the Oversight Committee's talked about how many obstacles they've had to go through in terms of getting different information from the DOJ. How will this make their their jobs easier when it comes to obtaining that information? It's it's really about uh, the play to go to court because it'll ultimately be in the courts for them to decide whether or not those subpoenas get fulfilled. We know, for instance, that the National Archives has thousands of documents that the committee wants to review. But the Biden White House is thwarting that ability for them to review those documents. Uh, they've also been unable to you know, interview particular witnesses. They want to be able to do that. Um, and they need the weight of the full House voting to support that effort. It should happen. Like I said, it should happen without having to do all that. But the reality is the Biden White House is just going to try to run out the clock through the next election. And and if Speaker McCarthy does bring this to the floor, there there is that question of if he's going to have enough votes. We had uh, Don Bacon not too long ago say that he uh, recommended against an impeachment inquiry. He was probably one of those who was on the fence. How does this play in terms of wrangling enough votes, but also just the political aspects of this? Because we've seen former President Trump really campaign off of the, the, the legal issues that he's facing. Could President Biden do potentially the same thing? Look, I think they should bring it to the vote uh, on the floor again, not next week. Give it a little time to percolate. Let the let uh, Chairman Comer, Chairman Jordan be able to show the evidence um, in depth with those members and convince them and show them, because I think when they see the evidence, it becomes, uh, you know, it's part of the role of Congress is to provide that type of oversight. There are. It, let's pretend and hypothetically suppose that they don't have the votes. I still think they put it up for a vote. Show us those Republicans who who wear the GOP badge but don't want to do an inquiry. And do those same people think that the Biden administration or uh, the Democrats, if if the other if she was on the other foot, would they hesitate at all? No, they wouldn't hesitate for one moment. Nobody thinks that that would happen. So. Um, yeah, put it up for a vote. Show us the ones who don't believe that Congress should uh, provide oversight of the executive branch. And when he's balancing these wings of the of the party, 
we, we've seen some who don't seem satisfied with an inquiry. They, they feel like this should be going farther. Is the inquiry enough to bring over the Freedom Caucus conservatives and, and others who, are, who have been straggling and, and maybe have been hesitant of Speaker McCarthy as Speaker in general? One step at a time. I, I, I think the evidence is quite significant, but I think it has to be such a high level, such a high bar, so much direct evidence that you know, even Democrats and squishy Republicans will look at it and say, you know what, uh, we have no choice here. So they'll get to that point, perhaps, but they're going to need additional documentation. And there is that information out there. I mean, we've we've seen new revelations lately. And there's a reason why the documents that haven't been produced to the committees have been held back. And it, it does. It, why doesn't that make people in the media and the traditional media that much more curious? You know, we're we're different in the United States. We're open. We're transparent. We're self-critical. What is the problem if the president and hasn't done anything uh, wrong or illegal? Then show us the documents. But there's a reason why I think that they're holding them back. And if we can move on to funding the government, because this is all happening when we're up against a pretty tight deadline here. And McCarthy has said that he's open to a continuing resolution. He's apparently spoke with Leader Schumer about this a couple of times now, though. We saw Matt Gates come onto the uh, House floor earlier this week and say that, hey, look, if we don't get a continuing resolution that has at least some of the provisions or if not all the provisions that the Freedom Caucus is asking for when it comes to spending cuts, uh, addressing woke issues in the military, uh, addressing the Department of Justice and the weaponization accusations that are there, you know, there's a good chance that a motion to vacate could be proposed. What kind of obstacle is he facing here when it comes to a continuing resolution, but also working that out with Democrats and, and satisfying his party at the same time? You know, the hesitation on voting for Speaker McCarthy was largely based on the fact that the House, rare to none, goes through what's called regular order, where all 12 appropriation bills come up for a vote individually that the clerk literally reads it line by line and any member can offer an amendment only one time since the 1972 budget act has that actually gone through guess what that's the one time that it actually balanced uh, newt gingrich was the speaker and and bill clinton was the president but it hasn't happened and so the deal with mccarthy was hey we need an opportunity to put these votes up if they fail they fail but what gets frustrating to the freedom caucus and others is that they don't even get a chance to vote on these provisions and they feel like that's what they were elected to do unfortunately we get right you know congress was just in a five-week recess instead of working and the consequence is now everybody throws up their arms and says hey we have no choice we have to either do an omnibus or a continuing resolution and so people like matt gates and others are saying hey wait a second when do we get that opportunity to offer these amendments and have votes on these i can understand the frustration I don't see an easy way out for Kevin McCarthy. I mean, the clock is ticking, but they did just waste five months doing nothing. Yeah. And, and is this just too little too late? And also, I should say five weeks, five weeks yeah. doing nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it was all good. Well, it, it, and is there anything McCarthy can do here that could get some of them on board? You know, it, it is a CR. It, there's a number of things they're asking for, but we don't really have a, a rank and file of which ones they prefer and which ones they don't. It seems like spending's really the big one here. Is there anything he can do uh, to potentially get a CR that isn't uh, what they call a clean CR? 
Probably not, because as far as they push to the right, you're going to have more moderates that say, hey, wait a second, we don't want to do that. I would highlight, and I'm much more on the conservative side of the equation, um, you know, the Congressional Budget Office is estimating uh, that this fiscal year is going to come out at $2 trillion as our national deficit, $2 trillion. Um, I remember when I was elected to Congress 2008, I think the deficit was $8 trillion. Now it's $33 trillion. So, you know, where's the end? Where do we, where do we actually curb back the spending? Where, where, when do we have opportunities to do that? Personally, I think they should be fighting for a balanced budget amendment that gets sent to the states. That is a reasonable way to actually fix these problems. But, you know, there are 435 different uh, viewpoints on how to do it. Well, it's interesting you bring up the balanced budget amendment because something that Congressman Gates was bringing up is that part of the provisions or the deal that they reached to make Speaker McCarthy the Speaker of the House was that a balanced budget amendment would be up for a vote, and so would a term limits bill. And we haven't seen either one of those uh, being brought to the floor since Speaker McCarthy has taken the gavel. Did he make a mistake not bringing that in earlier? And, and I, honestly, we haven't really heard too much about either of them. Well, yes and no. I mean, Speaker McCarthy does have some cards to play and, and be able to say, hey, look, um, you know, what if we did this, this and that? It's This is the sausage making behind the scenes that I have witnessed many times um, trying to find that balance. But again, with a margin of only four, woo, that is a tough row to hoe because... You know, you may add two to your vote, but you may lose one along the way. And that math becomes very difficult. And what kind of obstacle was created through the debt ceiling agreement? You know, we, t we hear a lot from Democrats whenever, whenever this gets brought up that, well, we can't cut spending any more than what we're, we're looking at because we came to an agreement. Is, is that fair for them to say? And has that put McCarthy in another tough situation here in trying to satisfy those who are kind of ignoring that? Um, the the idea that Speaker McCarthy got through the debt ceiling vote successfully was was pretty amazing, uh, considering the situation. I totally disagree. I would have vehemently voted against that. I think it was fundamentally wrong and flawed. But nevertheless, he got he coupled together the votes to make it happen. So, you know, that's always the threat too to the Freedom Caucus, which is, hey, we'll go over and get some Democrat votes, then we can get it passed. But the card that the Freedom Caucus has is, well, then we're going to put up a motion to vacate. Do you want to lose your job over that? Or are you going to go to the center and go get, you know, 100 Democrats? You know, that's not who we elected. We wanted a conservative in that place so that we had a chance to vote on some of the things, you know, some of the woke agenda and the things that we've talked about in our discussion. So, again, all part of the equation and why going through it to the end of September is a very difficult situation. And, you know, a government shutdown, I don't think anybody wants to go through that. It is avoidable, but I don't see an easy, plausible way to get out of it now. Well, what's going to be his biggest obstacle moving forward over the next few weeks? We're, we're, we're up against the clock. We have until September 30th to see a CR or to get all of those appropriations bills passed and then both sides in the House and Senate negotiate something. What's going to be his biggest obstacle now? Um, it's, a, it's a math problem. It, it, it truly is. And I think they're running out of time 
to actually go through the appropriations bills. I think people will look back over the course of time and said, hey, if you were promising to do the appropriations bills in regular order, why didn't you do that? Because if you're going to do that, you really need to start in April. Um, and that was happening to a degree, but not full throttle. And that will ultimately catch up with you because then you're left in a situation where they're not actually legislating on individual bills. The Senate is also taking a much more moderate type of position. Um, I, I think you're finding uh, minority leader, um, you know, our minority leader over there, Mitch McConnell, very, um, very. He was very hesitant to comment on, yeah. on the, the impeachment inquiry earlier this week. Yeah, no, and and look, he's he's sort of lost his voice. I mean, physically, he's just not as uh, vibrant in terms of his ability to offer his perspective and to be in the room to negotiate out deals. He's actually pretty good at that when he does it, but he just doesn't have the same vibrancy that that other. And and you have a president who's also disengaged. So it makes all that equation much more difficult. But what also I think is interesting about how the Senate has reacted to what's been going on is you even see uh, conservatives like Tommy Tuberville hesitant about the idea of impeachment, pretty much saying, I don't want to sit through something like that again. And uh, I believe the DNC has actually been sending out those quotes to different news outlets to try to argue against uh, the impeachment inquiry in general. Like it, it really is interesting how the Senate has kind of not been too thrilled. There certainly are some who are, but it doesn't seem like McCarthy's getting the aid from the Senate that he might want. I totally agree with you. I, I think it's uh, surprising. And, I, you know, if uh, Chairman Comer and, um, and and Jim Jordan, uh, the chairman of judiciary, they probably need to go over and sit down with the Senate and go through this. Senator Grassley is usually the best one to help champion that that through. Um, he has lived this, breathed this. He's probably the strongest senator um, in terms of oversight and holding people accountable. It's where the whistleblowers went, and rightfully so, to kind of plead out their case. You know, the House has the gavel, so they were able to testify over in the House, but they need some help from uh, Senator Grassley as well. And last, last two-party question, what are you going to be watching for the most moving forward? And also, could the motion to vacate be on the table? Is Speaker McCarthy's job in, in jeopardy if, if this didn't, doesn't go well the next couple of weeks? Well, again, we come, keep coming back to this number of four. Um, you know, the motion to vacate is always the threat that's looming out there. He's Speaker McCarthy, I think, has done uh, a good job of, of going through this. But this is his biggest test yet because you have the impeachment inquiry. You have members who are, are frustrated that they haven't gotten to vote on what they wanted to vote on. And now we're talking about appropriations bills for next fiscal year. And a lot of members feel like they didn't get to have their voice in it. And, it, and I don't think there'll be too much of a hesitation to pull that trigger with a motion to vacate. And, um, you know, here we go again. It's not as if there's somebody waiting in the wings that's an obvious replacement here either. It's just the House finds itself in a situation now where it becomes untenable trying to couple together the votes to get where to where they where they want to go congressman jason chaffetz thank you so much sir thank you tomorrow on the fox news rundown from washington 
chaos in New York as protesters interrupt a group of lawmakers trying to see the migrant crisis. With emotions high across the country, the border is sure to play out on the campaign trail. Kevin Cork sits down with Democratic communications strategist Murray Harf, and the Biden administration talks diplomacy after a long trip across the globe. Jared Halpern breaks it all down. For now, I'm Ryan Schmelz. Thank you for joining us on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.